Welcome to episode 110, everybody. My name is Austin Hartsfield. I'm one of your hosts today, along with James Clark. This is the East Village Times podcast. Today's guest, we're talking to MLB Networks and MLB Pipeline's Jim Callis, one of the best prospect minds in the entire game. We joke about it on the pod that we might be the two biggest fans of McKenzie Gore out there. If you've listened to the show before, you know about me. Jim has, I mean, ever since McKenzie was drafted and during the draft process, we get him to talk about that a little bit. We also talk about a lot of the other Padre prospects. We open on, you know, talking about the Padre draft and first and foremost, CJ Abrams. First podcast with the new setup, new device, new what we're recording on for podcast wise. So this one's on me. The first two or three minutes of the pod were kind of a little bit fuzzy and a little bit electric, but we got it all fixed up and we kind of just cut that. So, I mean, we're going to hop in to when Jim was talking about CJ Abrams and his future and, you know, all the tools that this kid has and the fact that the Padres got him in the, with the sixth selection, you know, kind of exactly where they thought he was going to fall. But here's Jim Callis on Padre prospects and first and foremost, CJ Abrams. Look, I mean, the guy's not going to hit 393, you know, going forward. Yeah. But, I mean, and and I always say, too, I mean, I don't read too much into pro debuts, good or bad, because they're, they're, they're small sample sizes. It's a big jump of competition. A lot of times the players had, like, a long layoff between when his high school or college season ended and then when he, you know, when he signs and then he starts playing again. So you can't read too much into it. But, like, it's always nice, especially when you take a guy that high in the draft, to see him kind of be – exactly what he was supposed to be. I mean, he was one of the better high school hitters in the draft. I don't think he did anything to, to change anybody's mind in that regard. He can really fly uh, around the base pass and in the field. And I think we saw that as well. Um, you know, Arizona league, it's hard to read a lot into, but you know, we always heard that he had sneaky power and he might have a little bit more sneaky power than people thought. Like he's not going to be a slugger, but he's not going to be, you know, Billy Hamilton either, you know, where, where, where there's no impact made on the baseball. And, you know, maybe he's a 15 home run guy. Um, you know, and I think, you know, ultimately, you know, defensively, we'll have to wait and see where he finds out. Um, you know, he, you know, they, they're going to try to develop him as a shortstop. And there's other scouts who, who thought as an amateur, he might be more of a second baseman or center fielder. But, you know, he, he really lived up to, to, to what people, you know, hoped he would be. You know, Josh Mears was kind of a, a little bit of a sleeper pick, like sleeper power hitter, um, who they took, you know, at slightly under slot to save some money, move it around a little bit. And I, I think he kind of was what he was supposed to be in his debut. I mean, power is, is the tool that's going to stand out with him. And, and he hit seven home runs uh, in his debut. You know, Logan Driscoll was another guy who was, was taken, uh, you know, to some extent to save some money to clear it up for other guys. And I, and I did not, I don't think I saw him. He'd gotten to the fall league. I, I was there last week and I know he homered twice in his first game there. Um, you know, Logan Driscoll, kind of an offensive minded catcher, um, you know, we're lined up replacing Luis Camposano in the fall league. He had a solid debut. And then, you know, Hudson head was a guy who had emerged during the spring. I, I do. Um, I do our Texas is in my half. Jonathan Mann and I split up the country draft wise. So I had Texas in, in my half of the country and, you know, knew that the teams were high in him, was a little surprised he got a $3 million bonus. Um, just from the standpoint of, well, he really did come on. Uh, like, uh, I just wonder, you know, if you offered Hudson Head a million and a half or $2 million, is he really going to school? Like, I, I, you know, who knows? But, uh, you know, you, 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 I wouldn't turn down $3 million if the Potters offered to me either. And he's got a chance to be a solid all-around player. And I think he kind of flashed those tools in his debut as well. So, um, you know, I, I think the positive thing from the 
from the Astros standpoint with the draft is, is that the guys they took at the top of the draft kind of lived up to what they were supposed to be in their debut, which is always nice to see. Yeah, for sure. Uh, going a little bit more on head, uh, you know, last a couple of years ago, the Padres drafted Mason House pretty high, uh, had kind of the same pedigree, if you will, kind of came on his senior year, didn't re- necessarily face the advanced pitching that, that most of the young phenomenal, phenomenal prospects had. Uh, do you think that head has the ability to be a decent uh, major leaguer or a decent pros- upper tiered prospect when it's all said and done? Yeah, and, you know, I had both those guys were, were you know, obviously Texas. Uh, they were both in my uh, my draft uh, domain. Um, and I, I want to say that I think Hudson Head was considered a better prospect at the time than Mason House was. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, Hudson Head, you know, he was at the, the World Woodbat Showcase in Jupiter, and he, he did a little bit of the showcase circuit more than House, so he'd had more exposure. He just hadn't stood out. Um, you know, I know with House, I think it was kind of power over hit was the way people viewed him. And with Head, I think it was kind of more of a a balance. Like the they, they people thought, you know, he'd better, you know, better hitting ability, you know, maybe not quite as much raw power, um, but, but, you know, maybe a half step quicker. So I, I feel like Hudson Head was a better prospect. I mean, he wanted to get four times the bonus from the same team. Now, you know, there's different factors. That's not necessarily a reflection that Hudson Head was four times a prospect. But um, it seemed like there were more teams on Hudson. Like, I, I recall, if my memory's right, you know, House popped up, and and people didn't really have no much about him. All everybody wanted to see him, and 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 like guys were interested in him, but the re- reports were kind of mixed. I guess is the best way to put it. And then I felt like with Hudson Head, when guys ran in to see him, they were more um, uh, more um, you know gl- not glowing, but but there, there was more of a consensus that this was a guy. If that makes sense. Okay. No, that de- definitely does make sense. You know, the first thing that we talked about when you came on and we when we started the call was Mackenzie Gore. You were really high on him really early, like before anybody else like really hopped on the wagon for him. What was it about him so early that made him stand out to you? Um, you know, it was just you know, covering the draft, you know, again we split the country in half. I, I have North Carolina and you know, he was I think going into that year, I think he'd you know, he'd been on the showcase circuit and he had it he'd been you know, good, but not dominant guys liked him. I think the consensus was he was like a late first to early second round pick type of guy. And, you know, I I don't know if it was by chance, but let's say there were maybe five guys who really, five area guys who really loved him going into the year, you know, before he kind of really took off that, that spring. And it just so happened, I think, that I talked to two or three of those guys. So I was like, like, and I don't talk to all 30 area guys in every area because I don't have that kind of time. I don't know every scout. But I just, I got like, like just great feedback about how good he was when I first started making draft calls that fall. And then when I took it up a notch and started talking to directors about him, I kind of got, yeah, you know, there is, you know, legit you know, like, like those guys aren't, you know, really necessarily out of whack. And, um, and then he just was spectacular all spring. I mean, it was kind of crazy looking back, um, that to me, at least that when you look at that draft, that, um, 
the guy that the, the, the A's took at six, Austin Beck, was almost getting more hype than Gore early in the spring, I think, because he was kind of new to the scene because he had missed the season, the, the showcase summer after hurting his knee in the playoffs as a junior. But, um, you know, that was just one. I mean, you know, I, I, I hadn't, honest, I hadn't seen Mackenzie Gore pitch except on video until I saw him at the Futures game this year. So it wasn't like I saw something and said, oh, that, you know, that's the guy. But I just had glowing reports about, you know, the quality of the four pitches and the control and the command and the athleticism. And uh, I just had, you know, basically great reports on him when I started talking about him. And and it was kind of cool because I forget where we had him on our preseason draft list. Um, I'm trying to think like I, I know we wound up running him up to number three or four by the time the draft rolled around and and obviously I, I said I would have taken him number one overall but I'm just grabbing I'm looking at our original draft list from the winner and maybe we had him in the 20s because maybe he was more of a second or third round pick and we put him in the first round and just were aggressive with him yeah we had him at 28 um and I'm looking here it's funny I had I even had somebody say he wasn't they didn't think he was a top 50 prospect but um yeah, so I, I was misremembering there a little bit. But, yeah, I think he was considered more of a second or third round guy. And I just had these glowing reports. And so we had him kind of at the end of the first round before the season started and then, you know, kept moving him up, you know, when he when he kept opening eyes. You know, you talked about the quality of the four pitches. Is the next step just polishing off those pitches up to this point? That Obviously, that and staying healthy. What's the next big step from Kenzie Gore? To be honest, I mean, I kind of you know, look at him in the same situation we were looking at Chris Paddock a year ago, except he's got better stuff than Paddock in that the guy's probably ready to pitch in the big leagues. Now, I'm not saying dominate from day one, and I don't think they'll do that. My guess is they'll give him, I mean, they can even send him back to Amarillo a little bit or, or give him some triple-A time, but I mean, it's just consistency. But I mean, you're talking about a guy who has four solid or better pitches, and sometimes they're a lot better than solid, and he throws a ton of strikes. Um... So it's almost, you know, like, you know, I think it was Joe Sheehan who, who might've been with baseball prospectus in who back in the day, I think this was his theory that, you know, the basically, you know, if you're pitchers, you only have so many bullets in the gun innings in the arm. And when you're ready, you're ready. And, and I honestly don't necessarily think that, I mean, there's much that Gore needs to get better at, except maybe be a little more consistent. I mean, you saw him in Amarillo, right? I mean, what did you think? I know he had the one bad start. But other than that, I mean, I think he had 19 good starts for the most part. Yeah, he had the one bad start, and they kind of jumped on him early with a little, like, a first-pitch bunt single that it looked like basically not even rattled him a little bit, just kind of threw him off, and they kind of attacked from there. But other than that, I mean, just that the ability to put any of his pitches anywhere is the thing that stands out to me. Like, he's not afraid to throw anything in any count, and that's... I felt like that was the difference between him and a lot of these Amarillo pitchers this year and a lot of the double-A pitchers that I saw. And somebody that also really did that was Luis Patino, too. And I can't say that about anybody else that I saw this year. Yeah, I mean, you could make a case. I mean, those, I mean, in my mind right now, Gore's the best pitching prospect in baseball, and, and Patino, you know, really isn't that far behind. Um, you know, it, it, you could put him up there with just about any right-hander in the game, too. Now, I, I think... Patino probably needs a little bit more polish um, with the strike throwing and commanding his pitches. Um, but, but, you know, like I said, I don't necessarily think they'll, they'll do what they did with Paddock like they did with Gore. But, I mean, I just, I, you know, from, from what I've, I've seen on video, from talking to people, you know, from what you've seen, 
it, it's not like there's a whole lot he really has to do. So why not let him, you know, learn on the job in the big leagues? Now, I mean, I know there's service time considerations and that type of stuff. Um, you know, although they didn't let that bother him with Paddock or Tatis this year. But I, I, I suspect we will see him in the big leagues uh, at some point in the first half next year. So not necessarily a Padres question, more of an evaluation question. When you're looking at young pitchers, right, and you're looking at reports and you're hearing things from people, what are the things that you look for to hear to kind of get the feel for a guy? From a, a, a tools scouting standpoint, it would be the ease with which he does it. You know, like there's guys who can throw real hard, but there's a lot of effort in their delivery, and that's going to compromise their, their control and their command and potentially their health. Um, and that's one of the reasons I like Gore is that he does it super easy. And, you know, he's got that huge leg kick, but he's so athletic that, you know, he repeats it and sticks his landing spot repeatedly. And, it, you know, it adds deception without throwing off, you know, his ability to locate his pitches. And then, I mean, I think, you know, it, it's a blend, you know, especially as the guys get to the upper levels of the minors. Um you, know, you want to see some sort of results like like in the lower levels, you know, guys are learning and you can cut guys slack. But when the guys are at higher levels, you know, you do look at things like or at least I look at things like strike out to walk ratio and hits per inning. Because it's like if you're if you're supposed to have great stuff and you're getting hit or you're not missing a lot of bats in double A, you know, that that's a concern you know, or, or triple a, or, or even high eight, a little bit of extent. So, um, you know, I, but I do think the biggest thing for me is, 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 yeah, you I mean, you want quality stuff, but it's how easy you generate it. Yeah. And it, it, Gore is just an enigma. I mean, he's, he's a special talent and it's definitely going to be interesting for Padre fans to see him. Uh, I think you're, you hit the nail on the head. He should be with the team next season at some point. Uh, let's talk about someone who's actually three days older than Mackenzie Gore and made his major league debut already, and that is Adrian Morahone. Uh, I'd love to hear your impression on the young left-handed pitcher. And I guess they just, after Jacob Nix ran into trouble in the fall league, I think they they sent Morahone down there to replace him, right? I, I, I haven't. And I yes, I'm, I, I I'm actually I I actually talked to Nix already. Uh, he has been shut down for the rest of the Arizona fall league, and Morahone was sent uh, to replace him. So. Yeah, with Adrian, uh, you know, he, he's very intriguing because you're talking about a lefty with, you know, plus fastball, plus curve, sometimes a plus change, you know, and, he, and he's thrown strikes. I do, And you guys would answer this better than me because I don't do our Padres stuff, so I don't talk about the Padres in as much depth as, say, Mike Rosenbaum, who does our Padres list. But what is his future? Is he a starter or a lever? Because, you know, the way they – I know they kind of – took him, you know, you know, handled him carefully this year because he was having some physical issues. But, you know, he only pitched 44 innings this year. Was that just a precautionary thing? Or do they see him as a reliever going forward? What do you think his role is going forward? I would think that they still view him as a starter. Uh, the The issues with his shoulder and his arm just came to seem to just keep popping up. So I think they were cautious with him. Uh, he did get, I think it was like 15, 16 starts this year, but only through. They were only two in extents. Like they, yeah, they're yeah. only in, exactly. Uh, you know, Austin saw him in Amarillo, got tried to get some information about his health and stuff, but really wasn't told too much. Uh, the Padres are, are pretty secretive about his future. Uh, I, I don't know. He was shut down late in the year. He's in Arizona presently, though, and and pitched well. 
uh, the other day in, in his first uh, Arizona Fall League action. So I, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, I think more than anything, he seems to be a trade chip at this point. If if you ask me, that's my personal opinion, but it's it's just difficult to figure out what AJ Preller has on his mind. To be honest, with it's you. like so hard to gauge him too because you want to see like if his velocity maintains throughout the starts, but you can't do that if he doesn't go more than two innings. Like you know, once he came off the IL or came off like a going off to where almost it felt like two or three weeks where he didn't pitch. Uh, they basically. It's almost like they safeguarded him, and they were like, okay, he's only going to throw two innings at a time, even if he dominated. Like, he dominated a couple of the starts that he had. Uh, I think he had five strikeouts in two innings in one of the starts, and they just kept shutting him down after two innings. It seemed precautionary. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. It's like it's hard to get a read on him. And even as a trade chip, you know, I don't know if you're going to get a ton for him right now when nobody fully knows his health, and you don't yeah. really know. Yeah. Can he hold up to a full season in the starts because he pitched 36 innings this year? Um and, and, you know, even, you know, if you design, you know, I know he made his major league debut this year, but he only pitched 44 innings total plus whatever he's going to get in the fall league. I mean, it's not like you're going to be able to ramp him up to 150 innings next year, theoretically. Now, he is still young. I mean, he'd definitely be a guy, you know, I, I would think in trade talks, the problem would be right now, he'd definitely be a guy that I think most teams would be interested in. You know, I'd be interested in if I was club, but the Potteries aren't going to sell low on him either. So, and yeah. I, and if I'm trying to trade for him, you know, and you're trying to, you know, AJ Preller's trying to sell him to me as a number three starter, be like, well, dude, you let him pitch two innings <laughs> a game last year. Like, yeah. what am I supposed yeah. to make of that? So, um, he, he, you know, he, I don't know what to make of him. I mean, I, I do think there's a lot of upside there, but there's just a lot of questions surrounding him right now. He's, he's one of the ones that like when people, I, when I tell them I'm here in Amarillo, I basically tell them, the first thing that they ask me is how good did Adrian Morhone look? And it's so hard to tell them. You really can't. And it's kind of the same thing with Michelle Baez. Except Baez had more of a leash than Morahone did this year. And I thought Baez looked actually a lot better than Morahone did when he was here. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, I mean, I, I do think there's a lot of parallels there. I mean, you know, he, you know, and I, it seems like they're probably making him a reliever because, you know, he, he, he pitched well in that role in the big leagues. I mean, he's throw more strikes, but, you know, he's got big time stuff. He's, he's an older guy. He's, I think, 23, and Morhone's what, 20? Um, you know, and, and he's so huge that you know I don't think repeating his delivery and keeping his mechanics in sync is super easy for him. So I, I think he probably is more of a reliever, but he's already had some success at that role in the big leagues, and, and why not just keep him in that? So we've already covered like most of the top five when it comes to these prospects. One, and like, one outside of the top five that's kind of a – a weird case is a guy like Buddy Reed, who I believe is coming up on, needs to be Rule 5 protected if he's going to be this year, which I don't think he would be. What does the future look like for a guy like Buddy Reed, who had a really off year here in Texas? Well, I mean, you probably spoke to him, Austin, I'm sure at some point. And, and Buddy, you know, I mean, great personality, great oh, to yeah. talk to. I mean, a guy who's very easy to root for. I mean, he's just a very super likable guy, but... The problem, unfortunately, for Buddy is, like, was this really an off year or was what he did at Lake Elsinore the outlier? You know, because he didn't hit San Antonio last year after he got promoted, didn't really hit in Fort Wayne in 2017, didn't really hit during his draft year at Florida. I mean, his best year at Florida with aluminum bats, he hit 305 with four homers. So I think, unfortunately, for Buddy, you know, if I had to guess, you know, is the guy going to be a regular on a contender, a regular on a second division team, or more of a, a guy off the bench. 
it's it's probably a guy off the bench until he proves he can hit. I mean, you, you got to love the speed and the arm and the defense. All that stuff's great, but he just doesn't control the strike zone well, and he's never ever hit consistently. So as much as you know, I hope he makes it, and I mean he's you know fun to watch and all that. I just you know, I mean the guy's a career you know, 249 hitter in the minor leagues. And I can't do the math off the top of my head, but like he, he's barely a 200 hitter in double a, I mean, the only time place he's had sustained success was in the Cal league where a lot of guys hit. And even then, I mean, he still didn't control the strike zone. So, I mean, you know, I'd love to see buddy Reed make it, but we need to see some evidence he can hit. And I mean, and, and he's also 24, um, you know, he's going to be 25 next year, so he's not young. Um, you know, and, and I'm with you. I mean, I think they're going to have some some Rule 5 uh, issues because they have such a, a talented system. So they, my guess is that they probably would not protect um, Buddy this offseason. And I think it would be kind of hard to draft him because I don't know. I mean, if he got Rule 5, if somebody took him in the Rule 5 draft and kept him, They'd probably be doing his career disservice because, I mean, right now, Buddy needs to play every day and get at-bats and try to make some adjustments. If he goes to the big leagues and gets 100 at-bats next year at age 25, I don't think that's going to help him at all. So if I, I, I would suspect they won't won't protect him. And if that happens, I, I really hope nobody takes him because I, I, I think that would be the worst thing that could happen to him. Yeah, I have a hard time seeing anybody taking him at this point since he is so raw and has – I mean, the, the tools are there and they're they're flashing and they're they're intriguing. But at the same time, you just you kind of like you say, you want to let him kind of fall into place and get his feet wet uh, at, at the upper minor league level. Uh, let's talk to, about someone who was uh, rule five last year. And that's uh, Edward Olivares, who rewarded the Padres with a decent year in Amarillo. Uh, give me your thoughts of that young man. Uh, he's just He's kind of blossomed under the Padres system after being taken uh, from the Blue Jays for the uh, for Jan Hervis Solarte. Uh, give me your impressions of Oliveris and what you see in him moving forward. Yeah, I mean he's you you know kind of comparing and contrasting him to Buddy Reed. You know they were on the same team. I mean I, I think Buddy is a you know a little better you know runner and defender and, and may have a slightly better arm. But Olivares is is solid to plus in all those areas, and he's shown he can hit more. You know, I mean, he, you know, I think he's got more usable power when it comes down to it because he makes more contact. I mean, he probably, to me, would be more of a good fourth outfielder on a contender than, say, uh, an everyday player because I think he could play him anywhere in the outfield with his tools, um, and he can hit, um, you know, a little bit. You know, I don't think it's – you know, I don't think you're projecting this guy to be an above average hitter and, you know, but I mean, you might get like a, you know, 250, you know, 15 homer, uh, you know, guy who could fill in all three spots if you played him a hundred or so games. And I know he's a right-handed hitter. I haven't looked at his platoon splits, but I mean, he'd be a useful guy because he can do a lot of things off the bench and, and he's got, you know, unlike, you know, Buddy Reed, he's got more of a track record of hitting. He's a weird one because he does kind of does everything well. But he doesn't do anything like plus plus. He was he was a weird one to watch this year because he doesn't do anything just absolutely spectacular to where you're like, wow, look at that. It's just more. He just goes about his business, does everything you know better than better than most, and it's pretty. It's 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 an odd it's an odd thing to have with him though. Uh, let's go ahead and finish that Emerald outfield. I mean, we're already two thir- two thirds of the way through. 
Taylor Chamel acquired midseason at the trade deadline. Uh, obviously ended the season with a bang, winning the Texas League Championship with a grand slam for them. You know, what does his future hold? And, you know, obviously the Padres hope he's the future center fielder for this team. But, you know, what does the future look like for Taylor Chamel? Yeah, you know, I, I understood why they made the trade. I, I felt like I was on like about three different San Diego radio stations. And some of them were a little aghast at the time of the trade. And I said, look, you know, I mean, Framel Reyes essentially to me was a DH and they had other guys like him. And he was a DH who hit for power and didn't do a whole lot else. And, you know, Logan Allen you know, has some upside, but he's more of a pitchability guy. And he really got hammered in AAA in the major leagues. You know, he, he doesn't miss a ton of bats and he got hammered with, with, with the, the jacked up baseballs that were used in AAA in the big league. So I could kind of understand it. I, I like Taylor. He, he's kind of an enigma to me because I mean, he's another guy. If you talk to him, he's the best. He, he's right there. <laughs> With Buddy Reed, you know, same thing. Like, I mean, the, the personality's off the charts. You know, you, 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 either one of those guys, if they have successful big league careers, like those guys could be working for like MLB Network or ESPN yeah. down the road, yeah. like easy. Yeah. And yeah. you know, Taylor's a great guy, great to talk to, super athletic. But you know, for a guy who you know, and, and we we ranked him high too, so I'm not saying we haven't. But like for a guy who who ranks super high on all the prospect lists. You know, he hasn't had a huge minor league season. Um, you know, there's power potential there, but he's never hit more than 13 homers in a year, and that was two years ago. Um, he does draw walks. He, he strikes out, but not horribly excessively, but enough to concern you a little bit. And, you know, really didn't have a great year this year. You know, and for a guy who, who can really run, he's not a, a particularly prolific or, or super successful base stealer. Um and for a guy with his speed, he hasn't played a ton of center field. He's played a lot in left. Um, so I, I like the tools. Um, I love the makeup. Um, I think there's a really good player in there, you know, but he, you know, he, he'll be 22 next season. I guess he just turned 22 during the off season, but like, I kind of like, I'm getting to the point where like, I want to see Taylor Trammell put up like a huge year. So I really buy in fully. Like I, it's not that I don't buy in, but like, I, I guess there's like some concern in my mind that like, you know, for a guy with all his tools, we really haven't seen them all come together yet. Yeah. It's tough because I think he's taken a lot of abuse from Padre fans because Padre fans were just so much, so in love with Fernando Reyes and they kind of group the two together. Uh, sadly, I think Tramel brings what the Padres lack. And that's a left-handed bat, a potential center fielder, uh, on base percentage is something that's big for the Padres in the future. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I'm I'm seeing predictions for Tramel up in, in in different. Just some people are really high on him. Some people are very concerned with his future. So uh, it's interesting to hear what you say about him. Uh, the personality is off the charts with him, and and he's definitely someone who you love to talk to. That that is for sure. Um, I don't know. Austin, give, give me your thoughts. How did you interact with, with Taylor this year? And what did you see from him in the limited time that you saw him? How can you not interact with Taylor? <laughs> like yeah. you get Taylor talking, he will, he will, you know, you look up at the clock and you've been talking to him for 30 minutes, but uh, you know, he was very open about what he's doing, you know, you know, his approach to the game, how he attacks things. He's, he's pretty, uh, he's pretty intriguing to me because, you know, 
it's like he sees the game different from, you know, let's let's just go to his other two outfielders. I mean, Taylor wants to do anything to get on base. And I don't think you see that a lot from people to where that's their mindset. And, you know, he, he told me that he was really focused on, you know, working on the arm strength this offseason, uh, hoping to be better in center field this year, you know, kind of getting used to playing center field. But, I mean, he's, he's just one of those guys to where, you know, when when you talk to him, you can genuinely tell that he actually cares about this game. Yeah, he does. He's also the type of guy that I'm sure you've encountered this, Austin. And I mean, like if you happen to be at the at the mall in Amarillo and we're walking by, Taylor would be, hey, Austin. I mean, he's his person. And, and not that we all need affirmation from players, but like yeah. he he just gets it. And, and, I, and I mean, not from the standpoint of, of being personable, but like you said, he knows what the deficiencies are in his game and wants to eliminate them and, and improve upon them. So, I mean, I, I, I have not given up on him, but I really would like to see him, you know, have a year like where he hits 20 home runs and, and, you know, hits 280 next year and, you know, steals bases at a higher percentage. Um, you know, and, and like I said, I mean, I would think going forward in like the Padres, unlike the Reds, the Reds had played him almost exclusively in left field. The Padres did play him in center, but like, you know, improve as a center fielder, you know, so you can stay there. I, I, I like I said, I, I do really, really like Taylor Trammell and the tools and the potential are all there, but it, it, you know, he's, you know, this will be his, I guess what his fifth year in pro ball coming up in 2020. And I think he needs to like, kind of take a pretty significant step forward, or at least from, from where he was this year. So one last piece that I saw this year that I kind of want to ask you about is Andres Munoz. You know, we, we watched this kid go to Midland this year, throw 103, 103, and then, a you know, just a nasty painted backdoor slider, kind of giving the Padres a fan, Padre fans a preview of what they, they can expect in the future. Is he is he the Padres' future closer? Do you think? Do you think that it's more just like he's going to be an eighth inning guy, a setup guy? Kind of. How does his future look? I think it depends on how many strikes he throws. And when we saw him, I think it was after the 2017 season in the Arizona Fall League, and he had to be the youngest guy there. It might be about the youngest pitcher they've ever had there because he's only 18. And we did a TV game. It was a military appreciation game. He was on. I, I guess he would have been on Peoria, obviously, and I think Peoria. I think they won the championship. I think they won the championship the last two years. He was on the team eventually won the championship. But anyway, this military appreciation game, I remember Ronald Cunha was on the team, and Ronald Cunha homered the first two times up. And it was like so good. Like Joe McGrain and I, Joe was doing color. We were on there with Paul Severino. We're just like shaking our head like at how good Acuna was. And then Munoz kind of came in, and like I'd heard scout reports. I think it was probably the first time I'd seen him. And he hit either 100 or 101. And he threw like this 90 mile an hour slider that broke sideways. I mean, it was ridiculous. He could have closed the game in the big leagues that night. I mean, we were like laughing at how ridiculously good his stuff was, and you know, and the fact that he was 18 years old and, and had stuff like that. But I, I think with, with Munoz, it just comes down to strikes. You know, if he can have, you know, average command or a little bit better than that, then, then I think he's definitely a closer. You know, if he if he battles his control and command and can't always, you know, locate his pitches where he wants. Then, you know, then I think you're probably looking at more of a setup guy. You don't quite trust in the final innings, but I don't think there's any question in terms of pure stuff. He has pure closer stuff. 
Yeah, he's he's impressive to watch and, and just exciting to watch. And uh, you just hope that, that he's able to, like you say, keep the mechanics in order and, and keep his uh, keep throwing strikes. That's that's definitely what we want to see out of him. Uh, a few more questions before we get out of here, Jim. Thank you so much for, for sure. joining us. Um, I'm interested to hear your opinion on Joey Cantillo, uh, someone whose velocity picked up this year in uh, Fort Wayne and a little bit in Lake Elsinore. Uh, give me your thoughts on the 19-year-old left-handed, uh, if you have any on uh, the Hawaiian pitcher. Yeah, and, and like, so I, I didn't have him as a draft guy because I don't do the West. So I didn't, I didn't know anything about him coming out of high school. But mm-hmm. you know, and they obviously gave him you know fifth-round money, so he was regarded. But uh, you know. They, it, it, he's interesting because, like, the numbers are, are spectacular. Um, you know, the stuff's pretty solid. Uh, you know, he, he's got feel for multiple pitches. You know, he's left-handed. He's got a good build. Um, you know, he, he really opened my eyes this year. He, he was not a guy that I knew a ton about coming in. And, and you look up, and it's like, oh, <laughs> there's a, there's another Padres pitcher now that I, yeah. I, I've got to yeah. keep an eye on. You know, it was, yeah. I mean, he does I – mean, he's not, like, you know, he's not – you know, the, the same guy that, uh, you know, Patino was last year, but it was kind of similar where it's like, you know, guy who I'd never really heard about going into the year. And all of a sudden you look and the guys dominating the Midwest league and you're like, Hey, you know, Potters have another pitching prospect. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just, it's, it's just mind blowing, mind blowing for us Padre fans for 40 plus years of just having no prospect uh goals or or any kind of cultivation of these young players and then for us to just constantly have 17 18 year old 19 year old players uh establishing themselves at the lower levels and becoming relevant prospects it's it's certainly very exciting uh give me your is there any sleeper padre prospects that you can think of off the top of your head i know the padres aren't exactly your your cup of tea but uh, is there anybody who's kind of flying under the radar that you think deserves a little more recognition from the national media? Um, maybe it's because I talked to him and like, I don't think he's, he's, we actually have him ranked pretty high now on our list, but like, I think Owen, what Owen Miller did this year doesn't mm-hmm. get enough attention. I mean, you're talking about a guy who came out of the draft and went straight to double a and, and didn't miss a beat. And you know, I talked to him a little bit in the fall league. Uh, we we were we had a long talk about how Wisconsin uh, is kind of underrated as a hotbed for baseball talent. They keep producing guys, uh, but um, no, I mean this is a guy, and it, it, it ah, it's like you know, it's funny because on rankings you you you're never going to get all the rankings right. When we were doing the draft in 2018. Um, you know, you just run out of spots, and we do we have we do a top 200, and and literally. The guy you have at 150 and the guy at 250, there's probably not that much a difference. You know, you, depending, you know, t- teams will have them evaluating different ways, and um, you know, it's just you know, who do you put on the list? Who do you not? And like Owen Miller, literally, literally was number 201. So, and we probably still would have had him ranked too low if we had him at 200, but he was literally number 201. So he didn't make our list. Like we knew about him. I do Illinois. I had guys. You know, liked him, weren't sure, you know, thought he's more of a second baseman probably in the long term, which is probably, you know, probably true. But um, I, I just don't think people, you know, I, I think he's kind of flown under the radar because he's not like the super high ceiling guy. You know, he's got a, a decent ceiling, you know, good ceiling and, and a high floor. But to go into double A and hit 290 in your first full year of pro ball is pretty impressive. And, you know, also while you know, learning, you know, new position, he hadn't played a lot of second base, 
uh, in the past. Um, so I was impressed by him. I, I mean, I, I do think he's definitely a big leaguer. You know, whether he's, you know, on the Padres, you know, he's probably not an everyday player. <laughs> if you have Machado at third and Tatis at short and uh, Urias at second, but he could be a really good utility guy. And he can really swing the bat. I mean, there are some... You know, I don't think he's got as much power, but there are some kind of he's more hit over power. But he, there's some comparisons to Paul DeYoung, who, who preceded him at Illinois State. And I think, you know, I think the positioning and, and the shifting all helps. But like, I don't think any like there were guys who liked Paul DeYoung's bat, but nobody thought Paul DeYoung was a shortstop in the big leagues coming out of Illinois State. And I think he's been better offensively and defensively than people realized. And I think Owen Miller kind of is on that same path. Him and Hudson Potts were required to play second base at least once a week this year because, you know, Padres trying to, you know, figure out guys where they're going to play uh, in the future and, you know, if they can play these positions. M- Owen Miller just, he puts together great at-bats. He puts the ball where people aren't, which at the end of the day is the name of the game. And he's he's another one. I mean, I think you put it perfectly. His flo- He has a high floor. Hudson Potts is kind of the bipolar opposite op- opposite of that for me to where I don't really know where he's going to play in the future. Where do you think Hudson Potts winds up position-wise? Well, it's a problem. I mean, he's not going to play third with Machado there. So, I mean, you're pretty much talking, I guess, first base or left field. And I just don't know if he has enough bat to make a difference at those positions. Um, you know, he's to me, you know, I mean, he's got to, you know, hit more consistently. Than he did this year at Amarillo where he, you know, hit 227 and struck out four times as much as he walked. Um, you know, he's still, he's super young, you know, for a guy who was drafted in 2016. I mean, he won't turn, I think he's 21 at the end of the month. Um, but, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I'll put it this way. I'm a lot more, you know, bullish on Owen Miller, you know, making playing a significant role in the big leagues. I am Hudson Potts right now. That that's fair. I mean, it, it's it's so young to to gauge these prospects, and their their value goes up and down so quickly. Um, last question I have for you before we get out of here. Uh, you mentioned Luis Arias briefly uh, when talking about the Padre infield. Uh, give me your impression of his season this past year. He he developed a little more power uh, playing in the PCL. Uh, there's a little bit of concerns about the leg kick and whether or not he was going to be able to hit major league fastballs consistently. Uh, give me your impression on, on Urias and what you think about him moving forward. Yeah, it's, I, I don't know if, if, if the jacked up balls were, were bad for him because, I mean, I think, if I'm not mistaken, what at least have like 17 homers in five seasons going into this year and they hit 19 and a half a year in, in El Paso. I mean, the, the ball is ridiculous this year. And I don't know if that kind of got him into bad habits in the big leagues because he, you know, and even in, the, in El Paso, I mean, for a guy who always kind of walked as much as he struck out, I mean, he struck out a lot more than he walked and twice as much as he did in the big leagues. Um, I, I still really like Luis. I do think he, you know, can find more of a happy medium where like I, maybe he got excited. Hey, I'm hitting for power this year after I never really did that. Um, and got out of whack a little bit. I do think this guy is a gifted hitter. I think he needs to go back to what made him Luis Arias, which is hitting for a high average, getting on base a lot. And, you know, if it winds up being 30 doubles and 10 homers, so be it. Like, you can be a valuable player doing that. Um, I, I still really like Luis Urias. I, I know he didn't have a, a great, you know, first half season in the big leagues, hitting 220 with, with not a lot of power. But I, I think it's just a case of making adjustments 
um, and getting back to 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 what made him one of the better hitting prospects in the minors. And and I actually I believe he can do that. I, I just think the guy's a really gifted hitter, and I think he'll figure that out. Yeah, it's. I think Padre fans are just going to have to be patient and and uh, realize how young he is, and and he does need the time to develop. Uh, thank you so much, Jim, for your time today. We really appreciate it. And and again, thank you so much for your time. Oh, yeah, it's it's fun talking Padres. I mean, you guys yeah. should be excited. I mean, yeah, you know, I know, like you know, Padres fans listening. You know, they. I mean, the year was kind of an odd year where they. You know, I I give them kudos for promoting. You know, Tatis and Paddock and not playing games, but you know, ultimately they finished and you know they faded and finished in last place. But to me, I, I would look at the positives, which is you know there were guys who got playing time. You maybe Urias struggled, but like, hey, he his struggles didn't cost them making the playoffs. You know, they they struggled in a year where they weren't contending, and now he knows what he has to do differently. And they got a lot of their young pitchers up to the big leagues and and got a taste of it, so they know what they need to work on. And and honestly, I mean, it, it seems goofy to say this, but. You know, finishing 70-92 with the Rockies at 71 wins and the Reds at 75 wins. I mean, that means you pick higher in the draft. Uh, yeah. You know, the, like the Angels finished with 72 wins. The White Sox finished with 72. I mean, if, they, if the Padres win three more games and they move down four spots in the draft order, three spots in the draft order. So, I mean, I know it wasn't necessarily the year people were hoping to, especially when they got off to a good start. But, I mean, it doesn't change the fact that there's a ton of, of good young talent in San Diego and more on the way. And I really do think this team will be a contender in the near future, maybe even next year. Yeah, it's it's exciting times. Uh, we're just going to have to be patient, uh, as you mentioned. Uh, it's it's just amazing to see the amount of talent on this system. And uh, we're thankful for someone like yourself to educate us. Oh, glad to glad to talk to you guys. I, I think you guys know a lot about it already. But like I said, it's, it's, it's always fun talking Pottery's prospects because there's so many of them. Welcome back, folks. Uh, episode 110 of the East Village Times podcast. Uh, we just wrapped with Jim Callis. Uh, it's really awesome to talk to Jim. He's so informative. Uh, he definitely had his coffee this morning uh, and gave us plenty of uh, information. What do you think, uh, Austin? That was that was pretty awesome. You know, just talking to him about Gore, which I've seen him talk about Gore a million times, but to actually. You know, ask the questions that I wanted to ask about it. You know, get his perspective on you know why so early, and you know to get his perspective on guys that I've seen all year. That was pretty cool too. Yeah, he's so informative, and 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 it's 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 fun seeing that these national guys want to talk they're about excited. the team. They want to talk. Yeah, they're they're naturally very excited about this prospects, and he kind of went off on on Cantillo there at the end. It could tell that someone that he's got his eye on, and someone that he's looking forward to uh, in the future. Owen Miller um, loved too, like yeah, Owen Miller loved too at the end. That was good stuff. Uh, let's briefly go over some Padre news. Uh, well, I guess it's not really Padre yeah, news, the, but the, the Dodgers, Dodgers were elim- <laughs> the Dodgers were eliminated uh, from the playoffs on the Howie Kendrick uh, Grand Slam. A couple of nights ago, pretty exciting time for Padre fans. Uh, pretty depressing time for Dodger fans. Being that we are here in San Diego, there are loads and loads of them around. Uh, I have them in my family, and they were naturally pretty upset. I, I, I don't think, know, Austin. Like, I think the most shocking thing out of all of this is that Dave Roberts is being retained. Yes, that is also very shocking and also... Very good news for the Padres. Uh, I don't know. You know, the bullpen has been an issue for that team for a long time. They still have not addressed it. When you have an issue like that and you go ahead into October, you get victimized. And 
they were victimized. Clayton Kershaw probably should not have been out there for the eighth inning. Joe Kelly shouldn't you... have been out there for the second inning of work. Like, yeah, it's it's you know it's easy to second guess, but oh no, but those are when those you're are in the decisions that you're sitting there thinking, all right, this is what needs to happen. This shouldn't happen. And Dave yeah. Roberts just completely neglected that and had basically no managing sense at all. Un- ironically, it looked a lot like 2011 and 2010 Ron Washington. So, Great segue. Uh, as the Padres currently look for a new manager, the 20th in the history of the franchise, Ron Washington seems to be surfacing as a popular choice for the team. Uh, Austin, you spent a lot of time in Texas uh, watching the Rangers and seeing Mr. Washington uh, up close. Give me your impression on his managerial style and whether or not you think this is a good fit for this young Padre team. Can we talk about the fact that at one point he basically got mad at you, Darvis, for not practicing because of inflammation? Yeah. He said all players yeah, have inflammation. This guy has – yeah. Like, I, I don't even know how to how to talk to talk about him because like it's just one of those guys yeah, he, that he, he's a great third base coach. Yeah, but isn't it a huge red flag what you just said about his, uh, I, I guess abuse of pitching or potential yes. abuse of. Yes, I don't trust Mackenzie Gore with him. Yeah, <laughs> I I don't know. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I see what he brings as far as the old school type attitude. The infield defense on the Padres will definitely improve with him at, at the helm. But then you question the character things. Uh, you question some of the stuff that's come out in the past about, you know, sexual allegations and other things. And there's the drug abuse. If we're if we're so if we're it's, talking strictly baseball with him, right? I'm I'm still out. Like I. I had the torment of watching him and basically number one, let's let's go to the biggest issue. Nelson Cruz out there in the ninth inning against the Cardinals in that <laughs> World Series. Any other manager yes. makes a defensive replacement out there and doesn't have a two hundred fifty pound right fielder out there. David Freeze That is not talked about very often the fact that Nelson Cruz butchered that World Series for them and essentially lost it for and them. And it's not even Nelson's fault. It's it's no, it shouldn't be out there. Yeah, and you're you're you hit the nail on the head with that. There's some questions in regards to his managerial efforts. Uh, Jace Tingler, a Ranger, longtime Ranger, has held different positions with the team. Is currently the minor league fielding coordinator, I believe. Uh, is someone who's also been of interest to the Padres. Obviously, someone who doesn't have any. Major league experience as far as managerial is the managerial role goes. Uh, young, young man, uh, 38, 39, I believe, uh, fluent in Spanish, has had a lot of success in the Dominican Summer League uh, with managerial teams. I believe he won three titles there, uh, has had some success in the States, managing on the lower levels for the Rangers. Uh, any impression on, on Tingler and and whether or not the team is serious about him, or is it just a matter of them? I'm gonna kind of checking the box. I'm gonna hold off on him for a week because I'm gonna talk to a couple of my Texas guys down here and see what kind of the feel was. I've I have a couple friends in that organization. I want to see if they've interacted with him at all. Uh, I, I think it's interesting that 
four out of the candidates that have been kind of put out to the open, uh, two of them have, have ties to the Rangers, and that's Washington and Tingler. Uh, the other two are ties to the Padres, and that's Barajas as the interim manager of last season. And Brad Osmus, who worked in the front office and was recently let go by the Angels, uh, was also interviewed by the team. Uh, I take it by your <laughs> dear God that uh, that is not exactly a prime candidate for you for this team. The Tigers uh, fired him. Like, yeah, I mean, that was a stacked Tigers team. I know they had some clubhouse he, issues. He managed a Tigers team in 2013 that had a roster. No, 2014 that had a roster of Robbie Ray, uh, Corey Knebel, Max Scherzer, Rick Porcello, David Price, and Justin Verlander. And that team did absolutely nothing. He hasn't shown the ability to handle a bullpen. Uh, he's been fired from two jobs in, I think, two years, I think. Why? I guess, I guess it has been two years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, it, I don't know. I... And then there's, and then there's a report that the Padres are not considering uh, Joe Girardi, Buck Showalter, and there's another name listed that those were candidates they weren't seriously considering. Uh, the Girardi one concerns me a little bit. I like I like Girardi. Would, I do too. I think that he would potentially bring uh, something different to this team. I, I think that if the team would bring him in, you would definitely get some production out of uh, Hedges and Mejia, being that Girardi was a former catcher and a defensive specialist, if you will. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what their thought process is. I'm, I'm a little concerned the fact that they are bringing in two or four guys that they're pretty much familiar with. Um, I, I really don't know. I, I'm good I, with due I diligence. Like, you know, yeah, I don't care if you bring in 100 guys. Too. It's just make sure you cover every single ground and find a guy that you're 100% confident in, like that you think is good for the organization that can, you know, help your players develop, but also doesn't hold these players back. That's the biggest thing with the manager. I feel like managers, a lot of the time, they don't allow the players to be themselves. And that's kind of happened with, what happened with John Farrell. I hope John Farrell doesn't wind up in this organization in any way, shape, or form because he's another one that's I'm just out on. But I, I don't know. You need a manager that's not going to hold your guys back. Yeah, you do. And and I, I think that the team is probably going to revamp their coaching staff. Uh, and I think a lot of that is going to depend on who they name as manager. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing someone like uh, a Tingler involved in the farm or in the in the system in some regard. I don't know if he's necessarily the manager or the managerial type. I, I just have a. I think that this team needs, especially with a Machado, especially with a Hosmer, they need a, a a veteran skipper out there, someone who can command respect, someone who the players will respect. I think that that ultimately was the issue with Andy Green when it was all said and done. Is that he lost a little bit of the clubhouse and in doing so lost the whole team. So um, we'll have to wait and see. It's still very early. Uh, you, you would have to think that Joe Espada will eventually get a, a look from this team. Uh, the Astros are still uh, in the playoff. Right now. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, you know, in the next few weeks, 
and as the World Series ends, you would expect the candidates to become more clear, and hopefully we'll have this whole issue resolved uh, fairly soon so that uh, the team can move forward because it should be a pretty busy offseason for this team in, in revamping their, their roster. It just... It, you need to get you need a guy front and center. You need a manager so they can kind of get to know his guys, whether it be you know just interacting with them. The organization just needs to know who their guy is going into these going into this off season so that they can start planning for the strategy for twenty twenty. Yeah, it's it's a it's a must, and, and you have to think that they're working on that and they're getting close to it. But we'll have to wait and see. Uh, it's it's an interesting time to be a Padre fan. It's always an interesting time, or at least in the past few years. There's a lot of upside with this team, but as as Jim Kaus would tell you, prospects are just that. You don't necessarily know what they bring uh, until they are able to come out to the major leagues and play and, and put up the numbers and you see what you have. So uh, Padres have a great farm system. We'll have to wait and see if that uh, – transitions into a terrific major league team uh austin i think we're good to go anything that we should cover before we get out of here uh there is hope for padre fans because the nats are probably going to the world series yeah yeah there you go uh, anything can happen right i mean if the, if the nats made it uh the padres surely can as well god you got to think uh bryce harper's got to be an unhappy camper sitting at well i mean he has 300 and on the flip play. side of that, Bryce Harper's probably not happy, but Ryan Zimmerman, I couldn't be happier for him. Yeah, that's that's someone who'd been a face of that franchise forever. Ever. Their first first-round pick? Yeah, really. And and their first superstar or star, if you will, uh, of the team. I mean, it's, it's good. It's great to see someone like himself uh, finally make it to the next level. Uh Gosh, this is going to be an interesting World Series, I would think. Uh, On that note, uh, I think we should get out of here. We are the East Village Times Podcast. Check out eastvillagetimes.com. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, East Village Times Podcast is signing out. (laughs) 